boss is complaining and telling me to shut up if I want to work here and just simply do that. I've got friends that have just died of cancer. I've got another one whose husband's just left. I'm hearing cheerleaders scream that they didn't make the team and boys screaming the coach didn't play me, my wife didn't make me, my husband didn't buy me, and where is God in all of this? <laughs> and by the way, you're listening to great relationships. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's, that's quite a lead in. Actually, here's what you would want to wrestle with. Think about this. Is God free related to all those things? What? Yeah, that ought to be your statement. What? Not only is... Are all those gripings and complainings and all these other things that lead us back to the two circles, but ultimately it comes down to, is God free? Okay, we need to just stop and pray, please. (laughs) Okay, Lord, we know that you're free because you're the only one that actually has control of all things from the germ to the galaxy. Praise your name for that. Praise your name for the perfection of who you are. I pray that we look at the way that we talk and understand how much this puts you in a box in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So let me be clear. You were telling me that anytime I complain about my situations, God's not free. God's not free. And not only does that happen too much of the time, but let me draw it back to the simple relationships between uh, parents and child, because if we, if we think about that, it might help us think about, is God free? But let's, let's go back to a passage in Ezekiel chapter 18 that's really important passage for parents to pay attention to, that they're not letting their children be free and that the children are not letting their parents be free. All of this freedom issue is so critical in our relationships. But in, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, we, it starts out with a proverb that stated something like this. The father is eating sour grapes and the children are setting their teeth on edge. And when you read something like that, you ought to go, what? <laughs> I am. I just didn't want to say. (laughs) That's right. What? Well, here's the picture. Just put that picture in your mind. Here's the father standing over and he's got grapes and he's eating some sour grapes. And the kids are looking at him from a different perspective. And they're all puckering up. They're all puckered up, but they don't have any grapes, but they're all puckered up. And the father's not puckered up. Well, here's what the Lord says about that eventually. I never want to hear that proverb ever again. And he explains it this way. He says, well, there was this man and he did everything right. He did all the things that I wanted to be done and he didn't do anything that was not right. He had a son who didn't do anything right. And As he lived his life, he ignored all of my commands. Then that son had a son who did everything right. The Lord stops at that point and says, so who's to blame for the righteousness or unrighteousness? Is the righteous person going to live? Is the unrighteous person going to die? Who's, Who's to blame for all of this? And it comes to Ezekiel 18, verse 20, and listen to what God says to all of that preceding. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Now, now think about this. The father is eating sour grapes, and the children are setting their teeth on edge. What are the children actually saying? They're looking at their parent and going, well, I'm the way that I am because of the way you are. You're the problem, not me. And that's a problem? 
too many people are doing that, aren't they? They're blaming their life on their parents or at least somebody else around them. Blaming their life? My goodness, it's the status quo. I'm not even going to change. They did this to me. I'm broken goods. And it goes back to the things that you are stating there. It's very similar to this. And we do this in the family, not only to God, but we do it in the family where the family is looking at each other and basically saying, I am the way I am because of you. And God says that is absolute trash. That is absolutely wrong. That is not the way it works. Yes, the son that is a a son of a father that was ungodly, the sins of the father will visit three and four generations, but you have a choice. Okay, well, then I'd like to ask you if I could, because during the prayer, you brought up the two circles. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't expect to hear that in the prayer. So now you're telling me I'm blaming my parents or everyone else. How's the two circles tie? Well, the issue is all of this is a victim mentality. I am a victim of my parents or vice versa. The parents are a victim of their child. When we don't understand that, we end up believing that we have no choice. Isn't that what the two circles is all about? The two circles, when I'm living in the left-hand circle, I'm basically a victim of life circumstances and people. And I'm saying I have no choice. Yes, you do. And God makes it very clear in Ezekiel chapter 18 that the person that is going to be righteous will be treated as righteous. It is an individual choice that each person has. I can't blame my dad in spite of the fact he may have been the worst sinner on the face of the earth. I could have been Hitler's son. I can't blame my dad for the way I am because I have personal choices to make. And that's critical. If I don't understand that, I'm just being a victim thinking I don't have choice. God is, is telling us a vastly different story. I'm going to say, ouch, but explain it to me like a second grader. Are you really telling me that any time I start blaming others, I'm not trusting God? Absolutely. And that's how. But the- Herman, what if they really are to blame? They did this to me. That is something that God allowed in your life. That's what we don't get into our minds to be thinking about. Well, then what I hear you saying is I'm blaming the wrong person. Yes, they did this, but it's actually God's fault. That's how we actually do it. All you need to do to understand whether or not God is free is you just simply need to look at the circumstances of your life. If you are complaining about where you are, how much money you have, what you look like, anything... If we're complaining rather than being thankful, we're basically saying, God, you're not perfect because you didn't look at my situation and I'm being treated unjustly. That's what it really boils down to. We have a tendency. Now, notice why it is that God would say, be thankful in all things. I don't know why. Because he's perfect. And I don't need to complain about anything. I can be thankful for all things. And when I am complaining, I'm basically assuming that God somehow messed up. God never messes up. In fact, that's one of the beautiful things about the uh, great book that Jeremiah Burroughs wrote, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I love his idea on active and passive worship. We understand the active worship idea. Yeah, I go to church, sing songs, listen to praise music. That's right. I got the right Christian station on the radio. You're listening to us. That's right. That's active worship. That is taking the time to reflect on God and praise him. Well, here's the passive form of worship. That's when I'm asleep. 
No, it is when you are in these difficult situations and you're not praising God for that situation. The passive form of worship is basically saying, I'm pleased with what you're doing to me. I am pleased even though it is something that I do not enjoy. I'm pleased that you're doing this to me because you're perfect and you must mean that for my benefit. That's the passive form of worship. So then this thing I should be praising him for is conforming me to his image. Absolutely. We don't look at it that way, though. And therefore, we put God in this box saying he's not free. He's not free to conform us to his image. He is supposed to be doing it my way. Some things just don't feel good. Uh, the, The typical example that I think of multiple times in my life is a cat that had feline leukemia. We had to give it pills, and it scratched and clawed us every time we did that. But we were saving its life. Well, that's what God is doing with every circumstance in our life. We're scratching and clawing at God, and the actual situation is conforming me to be more like Jesus Christ, if I allow that to happen. Herman, thank you for asking the hard questions. And if you can help us continue to do what we're doing, find us and like us on Facebook. Go to our website. That's greatrelationships.com, gr numeral 8 relationshipscom Or give us a call at 800-819-4293. Again, 800-819-4293. Critical Key Elements for Great Relationships The theological center of the Bible in Genesis 1, 26-28 says that man is created in the image of God to reign in demonstrating God's lordship and dominion over all creation. Salvation is needed in order to reestablish God's original purpose. Great Relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships, right now. You know how you're always praying for a sign from God? That you're meant to go to seminary? This is your sign. Seriously, I'm here to tell you about Grace. Grace School of Theology. It's free grace based. The professors are world class. It's accredited, accessible, attainable, and oh yes, it's affordable. You can even complete your entire degree online, which means You don't have to move. Wouldn't it be great to have a deeper knowledge of the Word of God? Write this down. www.gsot.edu gsot.edu or call 877-476-8674 877-476-8674 Now get going! Now! GreatRelationships.com, the website, and find us and like us on Facebook at Great Relationships. But you know what? Give me a call, 800-819-4293. That's 800-819-4293. Herman, I'm looking in my Bible, and Psalm 31.1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You were talking about Jeremiah Burroughs and how God permits these things to be conformed to his image. Right. Really? He he absolutely takes everything in our life, even those things that we cannot understand that seem to be totally out of out of whack. They they just don't tend to tend to look right to us. Then uh, forgive me this, but I have a friend who was recently diagnosed with cancer 
and right behind the diagnosis of cancer, we find out she's pregnant. Mm, yeah. And that person probably... Forgive might, me if I'm a little short on understanding the praise, because she might not make it to term with the child. Well, and what's even more interesting about that is it'd be interesting to know how she's going through that, because she might even be going through that better than somebody who has a much lesser situation going on in their life. It might be that somebody that is her friend has just broken up with her boyfriend, and she thinks the world is ending because of that, and she's a, she's a junior high kid. So the issue for us is when we have these very difficult situations happen in our life, how is it that one person can go through that situation with the idea of peace and joy, whereas somebody goes through a much lesser issue and they don't go through it with peace and joy? How does that tie to God being free? I don't know. I hope you're explaining it to me. I mean, I've got pen and paper, and I'm like, this is starting to hurt my head. One, acknowledging the fact that I am to praise God in all things, even the ones that hurt, Mm -hmm. realizing that this loving God is permitting it. He's not punishing me with it. He's permitting it, that good, some kind of blessing is coming out of this. Well, that's where we hope to go eventually. The idea is that when we are complaining A person that can go through bad circumstances is putting their faith in something more than themselves. A person that is going through bad circumstances is able to see that somehow this God that they have thought about or have read about is real and they're going to put their trust and their faith in that perfect God. Really? Because I'm thinking this God is real, and this is just a test from him. A lot of times we do think that, and it doesn't really matter whether it's a test or whether it's a result of the consequences of sin. It doesn't matter because the ultimate issue is, is God free to do whatever he needs in my life? Even if I've sinned, do I need to experience the consequences? Because that's going to actually benefit me with with uh, understanding who God is, or he's just allowing this so that I can be more conformed into his image. Okay, then let me ask you this. You provided me with the two circles, right? And how I am reacting and responding or choosing and creating, right? Those two circles that you walk me through. Right. And if you're not familiar, go to the website, check it out. You can listen to the broadcast or see the video. But my question would be this. God tends to work with me through other people, through other circumstances, And right before the break, I'm thinking, I need a bigger box, because not only am I putting God in a box, I am putting these other people, places, and things in a box, too. Yes, you are. And all of this fits into this whole area of freedom. We first need to think about how I am not allowing myself to be free. I'm not looking at it from a personal responsibility issue. I'm trying to make myself do things that really become obligations, those type of issues. I'm not allowing others to be free. And ultimately, it's going to spill over into God's not free. That's where we are right now. God's not free. And God is not free because we want our life to go our way. Go back to the story with Joseph. In in Genesis 50, what did he say to his brothers ultimately when he revealed himself to them? Oh, that was easy. The things that you meant for bad, for evil, God used for good. Yeah. Now, there's a man who knows about the perfection of God and who understands 
that God's free to do anything he wants to do. Because what? No, notice as I say that. This is a man who was thrown in a pit, been enslaved, falsely accused, imprisoned. That's to right. To name a few. And he is saying, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And what we end up doing is we can say, well, you know, God's free, but we're actually going, but I sure wish that weren't the case. Now, just notice what that implies about our view of God. That implies that God might make a mistake and he's not doing it our way. God is perfect. You're going to take me back to the fundamental choice, aren't you? Absolutely. Fundamental choice of life is, do I trust God or do I trust something other than God? And you will never get to the place of trusting God more of the time without being in his word. When we are not in his word, we have a weak, small God, a God that really does not operate with our best in mind. We can never be where Joseph is. We can never do and say the type of things that Joseph says if we have a weak God, if we have a small God. God's word speaks to us. We don't speak to it. Okay, how do I know God better? That is so easy for us to ask that question and make it difficult. The issue for us is to understand that how does God specifically, most importantly, talk to us? He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through our prayer. And he speaks to us in this really important area that we're bringing out. He speaks to us in our suffering because God is wanting us to become dependent upon him. And the easiest way that we get to know him is the obvious thing that we have plenty of options to do, plenty of time to do, whether we believe it or not, simply reading his word on a regular basis. We don't do that. We think, oh, I've got too much other things to do rather than sit and learn about the perfect God that has given me all things for life and godliness. He's given me this opportunity to partake in his divine nature. And as I learn more about him, he will allow me to escape the corruption that's in this world. Oh, I don't have time for that. Well, no, I'll be honest. I'll be honest because I make time for things I value. That's truth, right? You've told me, Paul, show me your schedule, show me your mm -hmm. checkbook. I'll tell you what is value to you. The problem is when I try and read God's word, it's not that I haven't tried. I don't get it. I don't see its relevance. It doesn't help me. And now I feel like I'm really missing something because I need God. I believe what you're telling me, but how do I make it work? It's just like anything. It takes time to grow, right? The issue for us is if we give up, the, the, the benefits aren't going to show up in our life. But here's what I'm going to tell you more importantly. We really don't believe that God has created this new creature in us. We don't believe that we're a new creature. Most of the time, I can look at my life and recognize the times that I'm not paying attention to him and getting this intimate knowledge of him are the times that I am into the wrong a, a branch of that fundamental choice of life. I'm trusting myself. I'm not trusting God. I'm not just simply allowing myself to be immersed in his word. Whether I understand it or not, I'm not allowing myself to be immersed in his word. And the simplest way that we want to read his word is simply ask the question, 
What does this say about God? Who, what is this telling me about God? The issue for us is we don't grab a hold of how important that knowledge of him is. That knowledge of him is either based on the fundamental issue of he's perfect and I'm not, or it's based on something other than that. And when he's not perfect, he's not free. <laughs> don't you call that oftentimes the logical contradiction? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When you, we, we end up looking at the fact that God's perfect, he never makes a mistake, he's omniscient, omnipotent, merciful, all of these wonderful attributes. I look at myself and I make mistakes. I'm none of those attributes. And then a decision time comes and so I go, well, I'm just going to trust myself. <laughs> I'm not going to trust God. <laughs> what, a, what a ridiculous contradiction that that shows up to be. Okay, well, don't look too close at my life because I do it all the time. Herman, I thank you because the truth is we can take the stress out of our relationships by making them great. I can take the stress out of my life by making it great. Greatrelationships.com. That's GR8relationships.com is the website. You can also find a copy of today's program and others. Not just listen to it, but share them with your friends. We'll be back right after this. Important key elements for great relationships God created marriage. When marriage is done God's way, man will represent the powerful attributes of God and women will represent the relational attributes of God. This is why God hates divorce. Great Relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships, right now. Jackhammer, saws, pliers. Is your toolbox complete? Add some critical thinking tools to your kit as you listen to Worldview Academy's Bill Jack with simple tools for brain surgery. Have you ever stayed in a hotel in which you had to keep the lights on? The reason, of course, is that you don't want to hear this sound. Whoa, baby, you don't want to hear that sound. That's right, it's the sound of cockroaches. So why do you keep the light on? Because the roaches hide in the walls from the light. Funny, people too often rush to the darkness when the light of truth is shined on them. In his discussion of the habits people develop in suppressing truth, Paul lists their foolish hearts are darkened as habit number four. Apparently, as Jesus said, men do love darkness rather than light. That's why Christians need to let the light of his truth shine in and through us to dispel darkness, another simple tool for brain surgery. To add more tools to your kit, go to worldview.org. Great Relationships, that's GR8Relationships.com, the website. Herman, I'm thinking of 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God of Christ. What an amazing verse that we don't pay enough attention to. And couple that one directly with 1 Timothy 6.6, which I call the formula for life, which is the greatest formula for life, if you want to think of it this way. Godliness, and how do we define godliness? Rising above the petty issues of life to see things through God's eyes. Godliness plus what? Contentment, subtraction rather than addition is the best thing for our life. So godliness, seeing things through God's eyes, contentment, subtraction is great gain. That's what 1 Timothy 6, 6 is telling us. And when we don't have the knowledge of the Lord that we need to have, we will miss out 
of allowing God to be free so that we can actually thank him, that we can actually be content, that we can actually see each situation in our life as an, a situation that God is using to form us to be more like his son. We don't see those type of things. But you were saying before the break, I don't see that because I don't spend enough time in God's word. And you were trying to tell me to help me get there. Well, as I look at my life, I have never once, at least I can't remember it, looked at his word and then automatically been changed, supernaturally been changed at that point in time, making that part of me, assimilating it into me. God doesn't work in my life that way. He may work in your life that way, but he doesn't tend to work in my life that way. He allows me to struggle with things. So I go read some passages in God's word. And they may not mean a lot to me at that point in time. You were talking about, well, I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Don't give up because God is going to bring a circumstance in your life so that you'll be able to read that and you'll go, oh, that's what that meant. I get it now. I see what he's talking about. But our problem is because we don't understand it, we give up on it. And therefore, we're basically saying God's not perfect and he is allowing something imperfect in my life to cause me more pain that I really want to go through. This is bad. But I know that it took me a long time in my Christian walk to understand, one, that the crown goes to the overcomer. Mm-hmm. And that the struggle doesn't mean that there's sin in my life. Doesn't mean that there's not, but it doesn't mean that there's sin in my life. This isn't a judgment. This is something that's being given to help me be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, any exercise, just think about that. That's the reason why Paul uses running. That's the reason why Paul uses the uh, the games metaphor. There is a discipline that is required to get us to the place where we're thinking about, oh, wow, I've, I've developed some more stamina. God allows us to go through these circumstances to develop our ability to continue to trust in him longer. Now, I'm not going to back up from the idea that the life of Christ in me and the Holy Spirit in me makes this a really dynamic, wonderful situation. Almost, I'd almost use the term easy because God is doing all this for me. The problem is, is I don't choose that. When Second Peter tells me everything I need has already been given to me <laughs> for a good and godly life. Well, that's, that's the point that we, we don't trust that that's true. We are ending up, like we've stated before, we end up not realizing that we have the abundant life. It's not something that is being offered to us. We have the abundant life. And if I don't understand the perfection of God, then I am limiting his freedom. And therefore, I'm thinking that he owes me the abundant life and he's already given it to me. If I start limiting God and putting him in a box, am I not doing the same thing to me? You're probably doing it to everybody around you. And this is what is the idea of a control person that we will want to cover in detail next time. A control person does those type of things. And all of us control for different reasons. But the biggest problem that most of us deal with as believers is we are putting God in that box and he's therefore not free. This area of freedom is so critical. And the way that we allow God to be free is get clear on his perfection. Get clear on how he actually operates in life. Get clear on the idea that we are fallible and we're not taking the time to get to know him. The Lord is very interested in us looking at and allowing him to change us through those eight steps to personal transformation that we've talked about before. 
Okay, well, so if I'm going to get God to help me, clearly I need to slow my emotions down and ask him for help rather than blame him. Oh, wow. If you do that, then you are moving yourself into a dependent relationship. And that's what God wants the most. He wants you to be dependent upon him. And unfortunately, we require ourselves to be dependent upon ourselves because we're not making the right choice of that fundamental choice of life. Being trust God or trust something That's else. right. And when we sit back and go, Lord, what is the right way to be here? How is it that you want me to deal with life? You're willing to be dependent upon him rather than going, I bet I, I need to sit here and figure this out. I need to f- find the, the right way to deal with this instead of going to his word or prayer or just recognizing that even if it's a painful suffering situation, I need to embrace the pain. I need to grab a hold of it and hold on to it until the Lord allows it to go away from my life because I want it in my life as long as he, the perfect father, wants it there, because that means it is going to have its best work in me if I allow it to stay that long. So God is a God that is free. We try to prevent that from happening because we want things our way. So the end of the question is, is God free? Yes, whether I realize it or not. So there you go. Greatrelationships.com, the website, Great Relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Hey, Steve, are you okay? You look a little rattled. I'm afraid I I might have to move out of my house. Did you lose your job? No, but do you think I might? Oh, things seem to be going from bad to worse. I had a fight with my wife, and I think she's going to leave me and take the dog with her. Whoa, what's going on? Your life sounds like a country western song. Have you ever heard of the acronym FEAR? Does it stand for forget everything and run? Because I've thought about doing that. FEAR stands for future events appearing real. When you fear something, many times you seek to control your situation. You need to slow down and remember God allows freedom. You don't need to control everything. Second, ask is your fear real or imagined? And lastly, focus on now. So what made you think you were going to have to move out of your house? Oh, my wife said she was going to the store to pick up some boxes. Join us next time when Herman invites you to break some of your own boxes as you learn how to use freedom to overcome control.